0: If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to the book of Romans this morning in chapter 3. We will read verses 21 through the end of the chapter in just one moment. Welcome, welcome to Big Woods Bible Church. I don't know about you, I have already been blessed this morning. Uh, Luke, thank you for leading us. In prayer, also the Navigate um, Singers, whatever they're called, they'll probably be on the road soon. And you can say, I, I knew them. I, I met them. Uh, to hear of our new life group heading to um, uh, Puerto Rico. I tell you what, old people, us old people, we got to step it up because these young ones, um, they're going to outpace us here pretty quick. Um, but I am, I am grateful Um, to be alongside of all of the tall pastors apparently in our midst. I guess I'm the shortest of all of them. We need to pray. I need the Lord's help. We're looking at a subject again this morning as we continue on in our series, a massive subject, hard to kind of compress it into a few moments together. We need to hear together. We need to hear from um, the Lord a word from the Lord this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray first and foremost. Father, we do just want to thank you for uh, the blessing it is, true blessing of being together in your house on your day with your people to lift up our voices that you've given to us and draw all of our attention on you. Father, we need to hear, I need to hear a word from you this morning. And I would pray that you would speak loud and clear and that we would hear, that we would leave here in a few moments knowing that we got a glimpse of you and heard a word from you this morning. We invite right now the Holy Spirit to descend, to rattle the cages, the cold cages of our hearts and warm us up to be faithful followers of Jesus, we learn to love you more, we learn to love others more, please be with me as I am in constant and desperate need, guard my mind and my mouth, may everything that is said and done be for your glory and your glory alone, we ask this in the strong name of our Savior, the Messiah Jesus, amen, and amen, and amen. Okay, we have been involved. This is week three of a five-week series on what I call the five solas. If you're just joining us, this is basically a brief series on what we believe, what our doctrine is as a local church right here um, at Big Woods. Uh, the five solas are five theological summaries that emerged from the Protestant Reformation just over 500 years ago. If you think about just the root um, of those two words, Protestant protest, Reformation reform. So, something, something was happening. The primary theological voice of that day had removed the word of God from people, had closed it, had shrouded in darkness, and there were some who said, no, 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 we, ha- we, we have to go directly to the word. Protestant Reformation is a time that What? distinguished from the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, and they constitute these five solas or five foundational doctrines. They're often referred to as pillars that unite all evangelical Christians to this day. In a sense, they constitute the full message of the gospel. Salvation is what? According to scripture alone, sola scriptura, by grace alone. Sola gratia, we saw that last week through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Sola Scriptura, what? I want to make it absolutely clear. The word of the Lord is perfect. Everything that we use by way of our doctrine, our teaching will come from this. If I move from this, if I ever teach you something that's not here, in love, fire me, okay? This is the primary source that God speaks to us. Everything else is a secondary source. Everything else. Everything that we need to know for our salvation and how to live is in this book, Sola Scriptura. We talked last week about Sola Grazia, by grace alone, unmerited favor. Praise God that the hope of forgiveness from sin and the hope of eternal life in heaven does not rest on our merits, on our good works, because we'd all be in trouble. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. It is in Jesus that one is made right with God, forgiven from sin. That is God's grace. You, add to, you can't add to that. You, take, you can't take from that. So, so, so if people try to then they distort what biblical Christianity is. So now we move on to what we refer to as sola fide. Sola, the word is what? Latin for alone. Fide is Latin for faith. By faith alone. Um, You've opened your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. I encourage people to write in your Bibles to highlight, to circle. As we read verses twenty one through thirty one, I want you to, to listen for this word faith as it bubbles up to the top. And mark that. Pay attention to each time it is used. God's word speaks to our hearts with this. Romans chapter three, verse twenty one. But now, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. No, but by the law of faith. For behold, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. Sola fide, by faith alone. Uh, that word faith is the Greek word pistis. It is a state of certainty in regard to belief. It's trustworthiness of someone or something, a, a textbook definition of the word faith. In all honesty, I think the best definition of the word faith comes directly from Scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I love the wording of the old King James Version. It says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it is the evidence of that which is not seen. We talk about this idea of faith, but we also have to say, well, okay, faith in... Uh, Faith in faith. Faith in what? Faith in who? On Thursday at noon, um, us four pastors gathered together. We had lunch with six other pastors in our community. We tried to do that the last Thursday of every single month. And what is interesting is that around that table, my brothers in the Lord is that there are difference by way of approaches to ministry. There's differences when it comes to denominations. Different denominations are represented around that table. Different philosophies of ministry, different styles of ministry. But yet when we bow our heads and pray in the name of Jesus, we are all in agreement. We all believe that we are justified before God through faith alone. You see, I, I could have lunch with, with a local rabbi or a local priest. I could have lunch with Reverend Mrs. So-and-so, and we're not going to agree on that point right there, the way that we are justified before God through faith alone. There is with my brothers a, a commonality that says what? We cannot add anything to this. We cannot... Take anything from it. It's not a combination or a need of any good works. So we unite ourselves with other evangelical Christians who believe this. Justification. Whenever we speak of this phrase, fide, by faith alone, we speak about the subject of justification. You're sitting there this morning like, no doubt I've heard that. It's like It's the ultimate churchy word. But it is a very, it is a very important word. Justification, Guy Prentice Wooders calls this, and he defines, it, I think it's excellent, as God's definitive declaration in his courtroom. Justification is God's definitive declaration in his courtroom. The reason I think that's that uh, is an excellent definition is that it's helpful for us because it reminds us that every single one of us, Every one of us, everyone from the very beginning of time are going to be called into a courtroom and we are going to be, what, standing before not a judge. Every single one of us will stand before the judge, the one true holy creator, sovereign God of the universe everyone who has ever lived. And everyone would be divided into one of two categories. Those who have put their faith in God and his plan of salvation. In the Old Testament, it's a sacrificial system. Since Christ, it has been the work of Christ. And and those who put their faith in something or someone else, everyone will stand and everyone will be divided into one of those two categories. And what? Only those. Only those who put their faith and trust in God's plan of salvation. We know since the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know it is him. And it's accepted his what? Gift of salvation by grace through faith. And God makes an announcement. Draws everyone attention and says this. I declare Tim Boger. But my heart is desperately and deceitfully wicked. No, no. God, the creator, sustainer of the entire universe, the holy judge will declare me and you, anyone who has claimed the work of Christ and put their faith in Christ. It was accomplished on the cross and the tomb that God himself declares us. Right, righteous, just, justified. Like how how did we come to this conclusion? Because on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther, no, 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 no. No, no, we don't worship history. History is wonderful to learn from. Why? Because history is his story. So we can certainly learn from history. We don't, we don't make this claim of what justification by faith because, because Martin Luther. No, because God spoke. And we read about this in Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5. We talk about faith alone in Galatians in chapter 2, in Galatians in chapter 5. We read about this in Philippians chapter 3. It's all over scripture. Therefore, there's one objective. I think you can handle this. There's one objective that we want to grab hold of this morning, and it is this. We need to know that salvation occurs through faith alone. That's our objective this morning. When you walk out and you're having dinner and lunch today, what did the pastor talk about? What did you learn? We learned one thing, that salvation occurs through faith alone. The, the, The question is, the problem is, it's perplexing, how can we be saved if God is perfectly righteous and we are perfectly wicked, like there's a big gap there. A holy God and sinful man, there's separation. How can we really be made righteous? You see, that's what plagued Martin Luther. He was, he was troubled. He was tormented by that thought. How do we, how do, how do us actually become righteous you know what people had done is that they had closed the word of God and they had listened to man and the church the loudest theological influence of that day said what you you, you, you gotta you got try and you got to try really really hard you gotta you gotta you got to go to man you, you got to light candles and you better rub beads and you better do this and you better say this there was one particular point, it had, it had disintegrated to the place that there was a German Dominican friar, preacher's name was Johann Tetzel. He traveled about it, he literally sold. they referred to as indulgences. In the Catholic Catechism, it actually says this, an indulgence is a remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sins. So they had printed slips of paper that for so much money you could buy this and you could get Aunt Edna a little bit of a shorter stay in the torment of purgatory. There's actually a saying, a phrase of that time. When a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Like, what are they doing? They're actually selling forgiveness of sins. There is like we can't, there are problems all over. Over the place. One of the problems was actually revealed in a story that Luther told. He talked about the time that Tetzel was was in Leipzig, Germany, and he was selling indulgences. He had done very, very well in that particular town. After collecting a large sum of money, a lot of gold, Tetzel was preparing to leave town to go back to Rome, take the money back to Rome, and a nobleman approached him. And he asked the question, he says this, he said, could I purchase an indulgence for a future sin? Tetzel, the ultimate salesman said, of course you can. The nobleman bought the indulgence. And when Tetzel left, he was on the outskirts of town. That nobleman actually beat him up and robbed him and said, I've got this indulgence. This is what I just paid for to forgive me of my sin problems all over the place when you remove the truth of scripture that contradicts that thinking is that you could do something you could purchase something you could say something for the forgiveness of sin romans chapter 3 we read in verse 28 for we hold this we hold tight to this one is justified by faith apart from works now, Paul writes to the church at Galatia, this region of, of Galatia. There are several churches in that region. It's, it's modern-day Turkey today. And he says this in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. It's a little bit more specific. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in, and he mentions specifically, in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But what is happening here? The works of the law, the Old Testament law had simply revealed every single area that you fell short in. That's what the law does. It reveals our sin, but it does nothing to heal our sin. Jesus Christ came and he was tortured and bore the full weight of his heavenly father's wrath on himself. And as he was tortured and bleeding, he had your sins, the wickedness that exists in your heart, in mind. How to comprehend that is beyond us. But that's how salvation occurs when one is called. One is drawn to God, recognizing that what? There is wickedness in here. And we put our faith and our trust in Christ's work and cross and in the tomb, knowing that his sacrifice was sufficient to pay the price for our sinfulness. And now God, what? In that moment, announces pronounces, declares the sinner righteousness. God forgives every sin that you have ever committed, that I have ever committed. And God's declaration accepts us as righteous in his sight. Now, this whole idea of justification, understand this is not a gradual process over a long period of time. That's sanctification. Justification is something that happens instantaneously. And you need to know this. It happens immediately when you recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And you say, Jesus, forgive me. I want you to be Lord of my life. I put my whole life in your hands, I'm yours. At that moment, you are declared righteous. This is something that a child can understand. October the 7th, 1972, I was a four-year-old brat. And, and my, my parents, my mother, in her graciousness, loved me enough to say, you little Timothy John. Are a sinner, and apart from your acceptance of Christ, you will end up in hell for eternity. Did my parents hate me? That's why they told me that. did Did my mother abuse me? Be, no, she loved me. She still loves me. And and a child can understand that 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 there's wickedness. A four-year-old can understand that they have what we have problems in obeying. But it says in God's word, children, obey your parents. And in that moment, instantaneously, the verdict, it's not rendered on the day of judgment. It's a day what? That we, we begin our Christian life. We begin our Christian walk. And it's like how, like, how can, how can, like, how does this happen? Because justification is no way based upon anything that we have done or will do or could do. It is based entirely upon the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. His perfect obedience and full satisfaction for sin. And that righteousness is imputed upon the sinner. You're like, oh man, that's a tough one. Imputed. Like we don't hear that like hold on. What does imputed mean? Imputation, the act of it is a big word. I understand it is an unusual word, but like justification, it is a very, very important word for us to learn. This word imputed or imputation has been used for hundreds and hundreds of years to describe the truth that God takes his own righteousness and he imputes it upon us. It's different than imparting. In, in our minds, we think like he has imparted something to us. He gives to us or he bestows this. It's more than that. It's bigger than that. God's unrighteousness is imputed to us. It means that it is actually credited to us. It is put into our account and it is reckoned to be ours. Moment. We put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we understand this? This, this week in our family is birthday week. Both, both our kids... Um, have uh, birthdays January the 23rd and January the 27th. Now now the day that they were born I did not what when my son was I did I did not impart to him his sonship. Now I declare you and I give to you what you will be my son from the, no no it doesn't work like that. No they they were conceived And on, what, January the 23rd for our daughter and January the 27th for our son, we simply what? We brought blue and pink bubblegum cigars and we just announced and pronounced, they're ours. Ugly, I know, but they're ours. (laughs) So, So what happened? My DNA... And and Wendy's DNA are now and forever will be part of who those two are. The problem is this, is that I am a selfish sinner. And I married a really cute selfish sinner. (laughs) So in a sense, the only thing that we imputed to our children was our own unrighteousness. And yet you realize that there was a day in each one of their lives where they recognized, yeah, there's, there's a lot of wickedness in there. We, we never had to sit down. We didn't sit down and say, okay, son, this is how you really annoy your little sister. This is what you got to do. Work on this. We never had to teach that. We never had to teach our, our little daughter, our adorable little one, how to, how to what? Deceive. We all figure that out on our own. And yet, when they recognized that they, in and of themselves, were unrighteous, but yet, what? Sinners, there was a Savior that died on their behalf. That when they, what? Even as young ones, when they put their faith and their trust in the finished, completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ, what was accomplished on the cross and in the tomb. And they confessed their sin, and they asked Jesus to be their Lord and their Savior at that very moment. They were what? Justified. They were declared righteous because what? God's righteousness had been imputed upon them through the work of Jesus Christ. And what? Now, there is hope for those guys. You, you, you realize that's, that's what happens for us. We read in Romans chapter 3, the righteousness of God through faith. But if you were to continue to read on in, in, in Romans chapter 4, there's actually an example of what this looks like. It's an example in the life of Abraham. And our time is short, I understand. But Abraham was justified by faith. And, and, it, and you're like, wait a minute. But Abraham is like before Jesus, right? Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 15. Abraham was given a promise. God himself said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Now, Abraham never, ever, ever doubted that that would happen. But he did doubt the way it was going to happen. Remember the whole Ishmael mess? And like like, like Abraham had a solution here. Well, what we have to understand in in Romans in chapter 4, it goes back and it actually reveals to us an example of what this looks like. And it speaks what through God's word to us today. In Romans chapter 4, we pick up in verse 18. It says, in hope, speaking of Abraham, he believed against hope. It looked pretty bleak. That he should be the father of many nations. He did not weaken in faith. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake, listen to this, but for ours also. Underline this phrase, it will be counted to us. There it is who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, this, this truth is bringing people from darkness, the darkness of their own sin into the light. This truth right here, we see exemplified in the life of Abraham, brings people what? From unbelief to belief imparting is giving something imputing is to become which means what at that very moment your identity changes like you don't put a square peg in a round hole right but but what God does is he is he changes. And we, in a sense, what? He makes us square so that we can fit into a square hole. He changes our identity. The objective that we have this morning is, is very clear. Is very clear that we know that faith comes, salvation occurs through faith alone. The problem is this. There's a couple observations from this. The problem is this. We have a tendency to drift away from that truth. We move, we veer off of the path. There are times in our life, there are seasons in our life that we actually think that Christ's righteousness is not enough. That the cross is not enough. Now, we would never come right out and say it like that. But in our actions and our behavior. Therefore, at some level, if the cross is not enough, then we can somehow earn Righteousness in some way. Well, how how does what do you mean by this? As a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm speaking about those who are here that have made a decision. You ever have those like they're fleeting few moments, but you are what? You are in the groove where, where you are walking. In the spirit, you are firing on all cylinders. You are you're doing it, you're kicking it. Someone touches you, and there's just a, a warm glow about you. You're meditating on God's word, and it's like, wow, he's speaking to me. You hear him, you tell others about him, and you're just like you're just kicking it, you're in that moment telling others about Jesus. You're guarding your mind and you're careful and disciplined in your walk, and you're walking, like you're waking up early to, to do your devotions, and you're like in that moment. And there's a brief moment where you think, wow, that God is glad I'm on his side. We think that. Which, which also means that there's those times when we're out of sync, we're out of whack that we are unhinged at some level, that we, what, that we have fallen. There's those moments that we slip or we sin or we struggle and then what happens in our mind is that, well, we somehow are loved less than in that moment. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. What happens is that we're drifting from the truth that salvation is through faith alone. This, this, this it happened. It happens. It happened to the churches in that region of Galatia that we were reading from earlier. They actually were caught up in well, it must be what I do, and 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 so Paul writes a letter and he actually addresses the letter. This is how he starts. This is how he starts this particular verse. He says, "You fools!" Oh, foolish Galatians. He talks about this. Who has tricked you? Who has bewitched you? Who has lied to you in a sense that that you think for a moment it's what you do that's going to save you? Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3 and verses 2. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Does he who supply the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do so by works of the law? By, by the right things that you should be doing? Or what? By hearing with faith. And then he goes back to that example, just as Abraham, this is 400 plus years before the law, just as Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him. There's that phrase again. It was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham, righteous? Like, didn't he try to, like, trade off his wife at one point just to cover his? And yet, Abraham was considered righteous, not, not because of his works, but because of his faith. Isaiah writes, the very best that you can do, the very best that you can come up with is, is like, a dirty, filthy, stinking rag. Isaiah chapter 64, we have all become like one who is unclean. And, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Ugh. It's the best we can have in the sight of a holy, righteous God. Paul, the apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing that Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Everything that I've ever done, in a sense, is garbage in order that I may gain Christ. You see, again, the, 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 the response is living in accordance to what Christ has already done and what God has already declared as opposed to you and I trying to check boxes off of our own what do's and don'ts. We have a tendency to drift away from the great truth that salvation is by grace through faith alone. Last thing, very quickly, and I want to leave you with this, is that we can keep from drifting. We need to keep from drifting. How do we, how do, we do that? Let me tell you this. When we believe in a big God and we pay attention when we read the Bible, that that's, that's what we need to do. We have to understand that, and I love the way that Matt Chandler says, he says, well, even when you read the Bible and there's all kinds of characters in there, like rough Guys. horrible women and yet Chandler says that God is at work in the mess that God what he chose a man like like Abraham he chose to use Isaac and Jacob and Moses and murder David and adulterer Solomon he, he chose to use people like Paul Paul was a terrorist he was killing Christians, rooting them out and killing them. Peter, who, who, who doubted and denied. God is at work and we have to trust that every single time we open and read his story to us. Second thing we need to do to keep from drifting is what? Surround ourselves with people who believe and celebrate everything that God has done. This is so important because you will become like who you hang around. I talk with people all the time, and they're just like completely depressed. They're discouraged. Like, they're just, I, I just don't know what to do. I'm confused. God, God's not speaking to me. The, one of the first questions I ever, who you spending time with? You part of a home group? You connect? Well, no, I just my schedule just doesn't allow it. You will become like who you hang around. Hang around people. I, I want to hang around a Craig Brady. I want to become like him. He celebrates what God has done. I want to learn what that God has rescued me and redeemed me and called me and set me apart. I want to hang with people who talk like that and celebrate God's greatness and goodness. I don't want to hang with people who are, are what, confused and miserable. They need the hope and the good news of the gospel is what they need. We keep from drifting when we, what, surround ourselves with people who believe and celebrate everything that God has done. Thirdly and finally, we keep from drift, what, when we pursue holiness by striving for obedience in every way so that God is glorified. That's what we have to do. It's going to be hard. there's, There's a lot here. We're called to love people that we don't even like to be around. And that's hard, but we need to be obedient to God's word. We are obedient when we surrender, when we submit. You have to realize, like, this is all about God. It's all about God, and it's really not about what you want or what you think. Problem is, is that you and I too often sit, what, on the throne of our own life. And then we're like, yeah, why, why, why am I so miserable? Well, you you need to move off of the throne and you put God in the place, what? As number one, he is first and foremost. Everything you do, everything you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do it for his glory and his glory alone. And we are reminded of that. Sola fide, faith alone. God declares us righteous, not because we're actually righteous, because Christ's righteousness is imputed, to us. This is not faith, but that we can muster in and of ourselves. It's not our own human response. It's a supernatural work of the regenerating of our own heart with the Holy Spirit to give you the ability to be obedient. You recognize this, the Holy Spirit comes and gives you the ability to submit and to surrender, to let Him give you what? Every ounce of understanding knowing that there's nothing you can do in your own strength. It is what Christ has already done. I trust this morning, right now, that you have, you have made that, that that decision. I trust right now that, that God has already declared you justified. But I want to speak for just a brief moment for those who perhaps have not come to that place. That, that maybe you are what? You're still trying to leg it out on your own. Like, I got an idea here. I got a plan. I hear people's plan all the time. Just run it right off the cliff next time. It's going to be less painful. We're today, you can recognize, you don't need a lot of convincing on this, that you're a sinner. And that there's a Savior, and that there's only one Savior, and His name is Jesus. And that today, at this very moment, you say, God, I trust putting my faith in what Jesus has done, and I'm yours. Forgive me. I want you to become, what, not just Savior. I want you to be Lord of my life. You take control. And you strive to live in obedience. And you know what? We're in this thing together. You're not by yourself out there. We're not going to push you out in the deep end. We're going to love you and come alongside of you and minister to you and care for you the best that we can. If you have questions about, like, yeah, I don't know how, make sure you grab me, grab any one of the pastors, grab any one of the elders. This, this is so important for us. Why? Because there will be a time that every single one of us will stand before the Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he will declare what? He will announce but some will come because they put their faith in, 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 in Christ and others depart from me because I didn't even know you. May today you make the decision that you need to make. Father, we love you. We need your strength right now to allow us to respond to your word and to be obedient to your word. We love you. We thank you for your patience and grace mercy and loving us. Speak now even as we close in this time that you would be glorified in us and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Would you stand with us one more time today? my eyes above the waves, when oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I